Hello, um, my name is Maura McIntosh and I'm a pro professional support consultant in the litigation team at Herbert Smith Freehills. Welcome to this talk on jurisdiction and enforcement uh, beyond Brexit, talking about what will happen on jurisdiction and enforcement of judgments after the end of the transition period, uh, which is due to end on the 31st of December this year. So I'll start with outlining the uh, framework of instruments which are most relevant for the easy enforcement of English judgments and English jurisdiction clauses around the EU and the European Free Trade Association or EFTA uh, countries, both now and to some extent after the end of the Brexit transition. The first to mention is the recast Brussels regulation, which applies if there are questions of jurisdiction and enforcement as between the UK and EU member states. And of course, it applies also between EU member states as well, but I'm looking at this from the UK perspective. So the recast Brussels regulation with the current rules will continue to apply if proceedings are started in either the UK or the EU before the end of the transition period, but otherwise it will no longer be relevant. Secondly, the Lugano Convention 2007 applies as between the UK and Iceland, Norway and Switzerland, which are three out of the four EFTA countries. We know that the UK will continue to apply that convention where proceedings are started in an EFTA country before the end of the transition period. But there's no guarantee that that will be the other way round. Um, so if EFTA countries will apply Lugano where proceedings are started in the UK before the end of transition, we're, we're not sure of that. The, um, those countries haven't made their position known. And we also don't know if Lugano will apply at all to proceedings started after the end of transition. That depends on whether the EU consents to the um, UK's application to accede. The EFTA countries have been supportive of the UK's application, uh, but we don't know the EU's position yet. If we can accede to Lugano, then that convention will apply as between the UK and the EU, as well as EFTA. Um, so it's an important question, but as I said, it, it still remains uncertain. The third instrument I want to mention is the Hague Convention on Choice of Court Agreements 2005, which applies as between the UK and at the moment just Mexico, Singapore and Montenegro. That convention will continue to apply after the end of transition. The UK has re-acceded to that convention from the 1st of January 2021 and it doesn't need uh, the consent of, of other um, member states, uh, um, contracting states to the convention to be able to accede. And so if we aren't able to uh, re-accede to Lugano, then the Hague Convention will apply as between the UK and the EU member states, as well as Mexico, Singapore, Montenegro, because the EU member states are also party to Hague not the EFTA states because they're not party to that convention. Um, importantly, the 2005 Hague Convention will only apply if there's an exclusive jurisdiction clause in favour of a contracting state to the convention. So that's the UK, EU member states, Mexico, Singapore, Montenegro. Uh, and for these purposes, it's important to remember that exclusive almost certainly doesn't include a unilateral or one-way jurisdiction clause. So that's a clause that gives um, uh, that requires one or a number of parties to sue in a particular named jurisdiction, but gives 
the other party or parties a choice as to where to sue. Those are unilateral or one-way clauses and they're almost certainly uh, not um, considered exclusive for the purposes of um, Hague. So if proceedings are started after the end of the year, then the position on jurisdiction and enforcement depends greatly on whether the UK is able to accede to the Lugano Convention. If so, then it's all pretty straightforward in that not much changes from the current position. Uh, there are a few wrinkles where there will be changes, uh, most importantly, the renewed potential for so-called torpedo actions, uh, which allow parties to delay proceedings in the chosen court. Um, that's because under Lugano, priorities given to the court where proceedings are started first, the so-called first seized rule, and no other court can deal with the claim until the first court decides whether it has jurisdiction, even if the uh, second court was chosen under an exclusive jurisdiction clause. So that gives obvious scope for a counterparty that wants to delay any judgment against them to start proceedings in, in breach of the exclusive jurisdiction clause in a country where proceedings are known to move slowly. And some EU member states um, fall within that category, unfortunately. Um, the torpedo problem was solved under the recast Brussels regulation by giving priority to the court chosen in an exclusive jurisdiction clause, even if uh, proceedings were started somewhere else first. But that improvement wasn't brought across to Lugano Convention. So as I say, that will be a disadvantage of Lugano if we do re-exceed. But if we re-exceed to Lugano, if we get the consent of the EU, that will be um, a good result, it's, it, it's fair to say. Um, overall, despite the uh, torpedo issue, it will mean little change from the current system of easy enforcement of, of uh, English judgments, particularly around the um, EU and EFTA. I should mention that Lugano applies to any proceedings started after it enters into force. Uh, so even if there's some delay uh, between the end of transition and our accession to Lugano, it would really only be a problem for proceedings uh, started in that period. It shouldn't affect the status of agreements um, which are entered into during that period. Now, if the UK does not accede to Lugano, then the position will depend in part on whether the 2005 Hague Convention on Choice of Court Agreements applies. Um, and as I said, but it, it bears repeating, uh, that convention only applies if there's an exclusive jurisdiction clause in favour of a UK or EU court or one of the other contracting states, uh, currently Mexico, Singapore and Montenegro, as I mentioned. But the key complication is that Hague only applies where there's an exclusive jurisdiction clause entered into after Hague's entry into force for the country of the chosen court. Now for the EU, the relevant date is the 1st of October 2015. That's when the EU acceded on behalf of all member states to the Hague Convention, um, apart from Denmark, which acceded in its, um, in its own right separately a, a bit later in, in 2018. But for the UK, there's some controversy as to the relevant date. The question is whether the uh, UK's date of accession should be taken as the 1st of October 2015, when it became uh, a member of, of the Hague Convention by virtue of its EU membership, or whether the relevant date is only the 1st of January 2021, when it will re-exceed in its own right. And the question is obviously important because if the date is the 1st of October 2015, then Hague will apply to any exclusive jurisdiction clauses agreed from that date onwards, uh, those in transactions being concluded now. But if it's the 1st of January 2021, then those transactions won't be covered. Um, nothing before 
no, nothing until uh, jurisdiction clauses concluded, exclusive jurisdiction clauses concluded after the 1st of January 2021 in those circumstances. And we've referred to this as the change of status risk. Now, the European Commission has made known its view that the relevant date is the 1st of January, uh, but the Commission's view courts that ultimately have to decide this question in future, which would be uh, basically the um, courts of EU member states who are asked to enforce an English uh, judgment uh, under Hague if the uh, clause was entered into at some point between October 2015 and the 1st of January next year, and ultimately potentially the CJEU if, if the uh, case goes up uh, to that court. Um, so as I say, the Commission's view won't bind those courts, and, and personally I don't think that it's correct. The Convention clearly entered into force for the UK on the 1st of October 2015. It's been in force for the UK ever since, and it will still be in force after the end of the transition period. But clearly there's a risk there. Now, where, where Hague does not apply, whether that's because of the change of status risk or because there's no jurisdiction clause or because the, um, say, the clause is not exclusive or it was entered into before October 2015, in those circumstances, the position will largely depend on the domestic rules in the UK and in each EU or EFTA state. So as far as the English court is concerned, the court will almost invariably to a foreign exclusive jurisdiction clause. And in relation to enforcement, foreign money judgments can be enforced either under specific mutual enforcement regimes, such as for Canada or Australia, and some of those may become relevant for EU member states, certain EU member states, or by suing on the judgment as a debt. As far as the EU courts are concerned, well, on jurisdiction, we think it's likely that EU member state courts will defer to the English court if there's an exclusive English jurisdiction clause, though there's some uncertainty as to whether they're able to do so where proceedings are started in the EU before they're started in England. We think it's a, a, a relatively low risk in practice but there is some risk that an EU court could take jurisdiction despite an exclusive English jurisdiction clause in some circumstances because of the way the uh, recast Brussels uh, regulation works and the way it treats um, non-EU jurisdiction clauses, um, jurisdiction clauses in favour of non-EU courts as the English court will of course be. On enforcement of judgments, our understanding is that most EU countries will enforce foreign judgments even without a specific treaty. Though there are some exceptions, uh, and our understanding is that Scandinavian countries uh, and Austria may be uh, problematic. It's a matter for local law advice. Uh, and of course, where judgments can't, can be enforced, sorry, where judgments can be enforced, there, there may still be restrictions on the type of judgments that can be enforced. And in any event, the whole procedure may be um, longer and more costly. What about arbitration? Um, well, this aspect at least is very straightforward because Brexit has no impact on arbitration, regardless of whether the seat of arbitration is in the UK or the EU or, or, or anyone at, anywhere else. Um, so Brexit should have no impact on either the um, enforceability of uh, an arbitration award or the effectiveness of a, uh, an, an arbitration agreement. So turning to the question of what dispute resolution clause parties should be choosing to govern contracts entered into before the end of the year, the main question to think about is whether you will need to enforce any judgment in the EU or EFTA after the end of the transition period. 
If not, so if there are sufficient assets in the UK or another country that's that will enforce um, English judgments, then there's really no problem. Brexit considerations aren't particularly relevant. But if you think you will need to enforce in the EU or EFTA, then the question, I think, or a good way of looking at it in any event, is what would your preferred dispute resolution clause have been apart from Brexit considerations? If apart from Brexit, you would have opted for an exclusive English jurisdiction clause, then the question is whether there's any reason to change that approach. And I think that depends on whether you'll be able to enforce an English judgment in the relevant EU member state or states, uh, assuming we don't have Lugano and, and Hague doesn't apply to, in, in particular circumstances. And as I said, that's a question for local law advice. If you uh, understand that there may be difficulties, uh, then the question is whether you really want to take the risk of potentially being um, stuck with the English courts if you can't persuade an, another uh, court to take jurisdiction because of the exclusive English jurisdiction clause um, and then potentially not being able to enforce uh, any judgment. So I think in those circumstances, you may want to think about some alternatives to an exclusive English jurisdiction clause, uh, and I'll look at some of those in a moment. If you do stick with an exclusive uh, English jurisdiction clause, uh, you may want to think about including an option to restate the clause, effectively entering into a new jurisdiction agreement after the 1st of January 2021, so that it does definitely fall within the Hague Convention. Um, but it does seem likely that you would have to actually conclude the um, new jurisdiction agreement after that date. That's the wording used in the Hague Convention, concluded after um, the uh, Convention's entry into force for the relevant uh, country. Um, so we think entering into an agreement now that has a sort of deemed restatement after the 1st of January probably isn't uh, sufficient. Otherwise, uh, if your pre preference, apart from Brexit considerations, would have been a, a non-exclusive or a unilateral jurisdiction clause, then it's probably not advisable to move away from that choice at the moment, assuming your reason for doing so would be to try to get the benefit of the Hague Convention. Um, given the uncertainties that we've seen, particularly the change of status risk, I think there'd be a, a significant risk that you end up um, moving to an exclusive English jurisdiction clause uh, and then um, ha have the difficulties that, that we've, we've discussed. But you may, in those circumstances, if you're not moving to an exclusive English jurisdiction clause now, you may want to think about including an option to replace your chosen clause with an exclusive clause after the 1st of January to give flexibility at that stage, um, if you're able to negotiate that, obviously, with your, your counterparty. Then if we have joined Lugano, there'd be no reason to change. But if we haven't, you might want to move to an exclusive clause at that point. And I'll look at the considerations um, for, for agreements uh, entered into after the end of the year shortly. So what are the alternatives that I mentioned uh, to an exclusive English jurisdiction clause? Um, a few of the main ones, um, a non-exclusive English jurisdiction clause, which gives uh, flexibility, of course, so you could decide uh, at the appropriate time where best to bring proceedings. But of course, that flexibility can work against you because your counterparty can also um, choose uh, where to bring proceedings in, in a court that has jurisdiction under its own rules. And of course, if it's a non-exclusive clause, then the Hague Choice of Court Convention won't apply. 
You could uh, opt for a unilateral English jurisdiction clause if you uh, have the negotiating power to um, uh, to manage to uh, get your counterparty to agree that so that effectively your counterparty would have to sue uh, in England if it was going to bring proceedings, but you would have a, a choice. Again, as I said, Hague won't apply, uh, but it does give you uh, maximum flexibility effectively without having to face the risk of having to um, have proceedings against you elsewhere. And I should mention, though, that some countries don't actually recognize unilateral uh, jurisdiction clauses. It's not a Brexit issue, just some countries consider them effectively one-sided one and therefore unfair. Um, arbitration clause, uh, as I mentioned, arbitration is unaf unaffected by Brexit. And so if you're um, happy with uh, the arbitration process, then an arbitration clause is, is a good option. Um, or you could for um, an EU or EFTA jurisdiction clause to choose the courts of uh, one of the, um, those uh, member states. Um, and then you'll have the benefit of the Brussels and Lugano or, or Lugano regimes applying. Um, but of course, if you still want to choose English law, then you end up with a foreign court applying English law, which is perfectly possible, uh, but not always ideal. And of course, in some uh, sectors, it, it may not be market practice. What about if you're agreeing a jurisdiction clause after the 1st of January? Uh, well, key point here, obviously, is that for these contracts, if you agree an exclusive English jurisdiction clause, then it will fall within the Hague Convention. The change of status risk goes away at that point. You'll have the benefit of easy enforcement under Hague within the EU and also in um, Mexico, Singapore, Montenegro as well. Not the EFTA states, though, as I say, they're not members, uh, they're not parties to the Hague Convention. Now, of course, none of that matters if we have been able to accede to Lugano uh, from the 1st of January. Um, in those circumstances, Hague will again be irrelevant as between the UK and the EU. So should you, uh, in a contract you're entering into after the 1st of January, should you go for an exclusive clause in order to try to get the benefit of Hague? Uh, well, I think at that stage, it would be a question of um, weighing up the greater certainty that you, you'd have in relation to enforcement in the EU against the loss of flexibility, particularly if you may want to enforce a judgment outside the EU. So if the EU member state where you expect that you may have to enforce, um, you, if you know that they will or are very likely to enforce an English judgment in any event, even without the benefit of Hague, uh, then it may not be worth giving up the flexibility of some other say unilateral or non-exclusive clause, if that would otherwise be the preference. But if you think there will be um, big problems, um, in the relevant EU member states if the clause does not fall within Hague and perhaps your options for enforcement elsewhere are limited, then you may be better going with an exclusive jurisdiction clause to get the benefit of Hague. One point to mention, even if you do have an exclusive uh, English jurisdiction clause falling within Hague, there's a slight wrinkle in relation to jurisdiction. If there's no party domiciled in the UK or in one of the other non-EU Hague states, so Mexico, Singapore, Montenegro, um, because if proceedings are started in an EU court, there's a slight uncertainty whether that court would be able to defer to the English court despite the English jurisdiction clause. That's because the Brussels rules take precedence over Hague in those circumstances where there's no party that's domiciled in the UK or one of the non-EU Hague states. 
Um, and as I mentioned, under Brussels, there's some uncertainty about the, the, the ability of member state courts to defer to a non-EU court. And one final uh, point to think about, which is really an immediate uh, consideration for those dealing with current disputes, particularly, uh, particularly on the claimant side. If you have any disputes where you are considering whether or when to start proceedings, it's worth thinking carefully about whether you should issue proceedings now, uh, before, before the end of the year, that is, uh, in order to get the benefit of the current rules applying. Um, so basically the rules under the recast with their easy promise of um, promise of easy enforcement around the EU. Um, so there are a number of factors you might want to consider. Uh, firstly, are you going to need to enforce any judgment in the EU or EFTA? Um, particularly the EU, as I said, there's no guarantee that the EFTA states will apply the current rules under Lugano just because proceedings are started before the end of the year. But if you will need to enforce in the EU, will you be able to do that? Uh, will it be good? Um, obviously, if we join Lugano, the issue goes away, uh, but there's no guarantee of that. So it may be worth starting proceedings sooner to be able to get the benefit of recast Brussels applying. Is there a risk that an opponent might start proceedings in an EU court? Um, if English proceedings are started before the end of the year, then EU courts should defer to the English courts so long as the English proceedings were either started first or there's an exclusive English jurisdiction clause. But after the end of the year, there's, there's some risk, as I've mentioned, that they won't defer even if there's an exclusive uh, English jurisdiction clause unless we have the benefit of Lugano. Uh, and also, if you wait, uh, will you be able to serve the proceedings um, within England and Wales? Uh, because if not, you may uh, need to apply for permission to serve outside the jurisdiction. And on the current rules, you'll need permission unless there's an exclusive jurisdiction clause falling within Hague. But at least for these purposes, uh, we can be confident that the start date for Hague is the 1st of October 2015, because the UK is legislating to that effect for the purposes of English law. The UK can't legislate for the purposes of what the EU courts uh, will do, but for the purposes of English law, we know the relevant date will be the 1st of October 2015. Uh, and if you do need permission to serve out, remember that there will be a duty of full and frank disclosure um, when you apply to the court so that you will have to uh, inform the court of any issues against you, including as to the merits of the case, as well as the additional time and cost of the application. And finally, will it be more difficult to actually serve the proceedings um, if you wait, because the EU service regulation will no longer be available. So for all of those reasons, it, it may be advantageous to uh, commence proceedings now rather than wait. It's something you uh, would need to weigh up. Um, so thank you. That was all I uh, want to say on jurisdiction and enforcement of judgments. Um, there is further information um, available. Uh, in uh, We have a section on our Be Beyond Brexit Legal Guide, which is available on the website. And you can also um, subscribe to our Brexit Notes blog to keep up to date with developments. Thank you for listening.